keeping your spirits up. I'm afraid it's still my ugly mug that you get to see at the front. I can't change that. Our special guest trashing his house in the background there, I can hear. <laughs> but uh, welcome to a very special show. Now, I have been asked before we get going just to uh, quickly uh, make a, a comment. Some of you will have seen it, sadly, um, that Castle Coombe has had to extend the full circuit closure uh, until the end of May. We know we've got, um, or motorsport activity was already uh, kicked in the nuts, shall we say. But now all circuit activity, we've lost pure Ford. It's just devastating. The circuit are hemorrhaging every possible way. Please bear with them. They're trying their best. It's a really difficult time for them all. Uh, and it is not the result that we were hoping for. But unsurprisingly, we get very big crowds at those. So uh, it, it, we're not able to get that one going. So keep your eyes on the Carsacombe Circuit website and the Facebook page, which you should be on now, hopefully catching up with the, uh, the live stream that we have here. Let me just check. Yeah, we're getting loads of you going. Hi, everybody. Uh, Jed Doyle, Tim Perry, Emma Strawford, Carl Jones, Chris Hignall, Alison Clark, Nick James, Jeff Gendall, the photographers here as well. Great to see you all. And as it already says on the bottom there, we've got a very special guest that uh, has a major uh, pedigree in motor racing. Behind the wheel mainly, but more recently, he's uh, he's my guiding light because he's behind the microphone as well now. Let's bring him in as he's chuckling in the background, I can see there. And he's going to count him in. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Karun Chandok. Karun, hello there, Evening. sir. How are you doing? Good to, uh, good to join you. Oh, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And and I know that we had the, I had the privilege of meeting and working with you uh, November last year, wasn't it? Up at Chateau Impney. Yeah, that's right. At the at the car club event, it was a fun fun evening. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's always fun over the winter to to come up and and meet new people and do different events. I think the problem with F one is you you live in this bubble and you don't often get to see the outside world. Um, but <laughs> uh, well, kind of like we're in now, I suppose, in some way. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it was fun. It, 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 that was what it was. It was all training for this lockdown. That's what F1 yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was good to see you there. And uh, and I know you you had uh, a very young Litland at the time because they you were up the night before walking the corridors with them. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's he's a bit bigger now. He's he's actually just started walking this last week. So in a way, oh. it's been quite nice to to be here and see that because. The day he started taking his first steps, I would have been at the Vietnam Grand Prix, so I'd have missed that. And uh, and, and you know, in, in the few days afterwards, he's been up and down the garden. And um, yeah, so I suppose the silver lining of, of not being away is you get to see those sort of moments. I mean, you know, you've got a young daughter, so you know what I'm talking about. But it's, uh, yeah, I suppose you could look for the silver lining in, in all of this. I agree, and, and and you really do have to. Where I'm trying to remember now. Where would you should you be this weekend? Isn't it this weekend? Um, where are we now? April. I sort of lost track of it, really. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but, well. um, but no, I think we would have been. Actually, we would have been China coming up yes. right now. We'll be up to round four now. It was only because I know we've got a mutual friend that uh, happened to say, uh, with the photo of him sat in his garden saying he was supposed to be somewhere, Peter Maybon, who you know from Pirelli, uh, and we know he's one of our instructors at Castle Coombe as well. And uh, yeah, he's there, sat there with his, with his feet up, but was actually saying, I wish I was back at work now. And he, not, and he says he doesn't normally say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, you, this whole process is teaching us all to love and appreciate things much more in our normal lives, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, I, I, I miss 
in some ways, I miss being in the paddock and being at racetracks and dr either driving or commentating or whatever. And I think you, you, you really grow a sense of appreciation of how much freedom we also had, you know, the ability to, to get in our cars and go off and have lunches and dinners with friends and family, wherever we wanted or have a picnic in the park or, or you know, we, I think we we're all gaining a new sense of appreciation for, for should we say life pre coronavirus. I, I agree, actually, as I took my dog for a walk and, and just went off uh, over that sort of direction and sort of got to a place where I was high enough that I was looking over the sort of the, the, the houses and the town and everything and uh, and suddenly appreciate that it's it's quite a lovely sight. But then you sort of have this dawning going, but I've got no freedom. I can't go anywhere. But and, we're also and, missing motor racing, aren't we? I think, oh. you know, I think ultimately... For all of us, who, whether we work in the sport or whether we're, we're fans of the sport, I think we, we're fundamentally all missing going to racetracks to watch good motor racing or be involved in it. Or, you know, I think that there's bits and pieces online and on telly that are, that are keeping us going, but there's, there's nothing like watching live racing. And that's whether it's, um, you know, you're into club motorsport or, or, or Formula One or, you know, things at the highest level. So, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're all waiting for it to come back, really. Uh, on that note, because we're going to go over your your history, because it's amazing. I just, again, being refreshed of it uh, yet again uh, today, is it's just really, really impressive. But I want to bring up something on that, uh, really, that you mentioned there. Have you got involved either behind the wheel or on the mic in the sim racing world that has just exploded even more at the moment? Chris, I just said to you, I have a 16-month-old who's just started walking. <laughs> Do you genuinely think I've got the time to play video games? If you notice all the people involved with sim racing, either either they've got kids who are now old enough that they can they can let them entertain themselves, or they haven't got kids at all. Um, I think JB is the one exception, but because he's in LA, he's on a different time zone, so he can sort of do things when when uh, Hendrix is asleep, I think. So, yeah, uh, I think I'm a few years away from that yet. <laughs> I, hope so not. You... I mean, I'm, 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 I, I, I am thinking about it, but just you need the time. Uh, but I'm, I'm filling my days with, you know, plenty of projects, to be honest, uh, lots of writing, um, just lots of lots of things that you put on the back burner, um, lots of reading. You can see my, if I lean this way, you can see my yeah. bookshelf behind all oh, this side, actually. <laughs> going the other way um so i'm i'm getting through a few books and and learning more and more about the history of our sport and yeah um you know that uh, on one side as much as we're all sort of locked in there's actually lots to do and to, to fill your time uh, agreed and that's uh, like me is that i'm there sort of going where's this free time that i'm supposed to have at the moment uh talking about history i mean your family has one incredible history in motorsport altogether mm. uh grandfather grandmother as well used to race and your father uh and and that had to carry down to you and and this goes back into I I india i mean your your father vicky chandak multiple indian uh rally champion president of the federation of motorsport clubs of india since 2003 you only had one direction you could go really didn't you <laughs> well yes and no because you know for example my brother um you know grew up in the same house same environment same genes had zero interest in motorsport. You know, he, he only suddenly got interested when, uh, you know, I was suddenly racing in places like Monte Carlo and, <laughs> and, and, and that sounded more appealing to him. Um, you know, he didn't fancy coming to, to cold, wet Snetterton, that's for sure. But I think, 
you know, I was never pushed into it. I was never forced into it. But it's a sport I fell in love with. Yeah, I was, as you say, I was lucky. I grew up in a house um, surrounded by motorsport people. My, my, you know, my dad at the time, uh, he was sort of winding down his driving days and started going into running teams. Um, so, you know, I would travel with him to different rallies and races. Uh, and he, he raced, you know, Formula 2 Chevron. I think it was an ex-Elio De Angelis ICI Formula 2 Chevron that he raced um, when I was much younger. So, you know, I grew up in that environment and I, and I took to it and I fell in love with it. And uh, it, it certainly, it's, it, it, you know, it, it gave us a common denominator, I guess, in some ways to have conversations around the table um, through the years. And, and they're big supporters. But, you know, I, I, I was the first one in my family to be able to leave India and race abroad. My, neither my grandfather right. or, or my dad raced outside of India. I think they might have raced in Sri Lanka, but but nowhere outside of that. So, I, and they, it was interesting actually because you know my grandfather's only been to see me race maybe f four or five times outside India, maybe even less actually. I think I can only think of three occasions outside of India that he's been to, and really? the the scale of it just completely shocked him and blew him away. I think the first time he came, I was in GP two uh, doing the Asia series in Dubai. And he he just he couldn't comprehend what all these engineers were doing, what all these computers were doing, and and I think <laughs> I think it it then dawned on him. I mean, my dad was different because he was traveling and working in the business, so he knew how different my racing life was going to be compared to his. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly, it's been it's been nice to carry on the you know have the family line carry on. I mean, and, and you know, in all seriousness, it's got to be lovely to have that history there. But you've written, like, massive history yourself. I mean, 2000, Indian National Racing Champion uh, in the Formula, how do you say it, Maruti Series? Yeah, Maruti. Yeah, Maruti Series. Um, winning seven out of the ten races with poles and fastest laps in all ten of the races. I mean, it, it, you sort of showed your calibre early on then. But to be honest, the, the biggest achievement for me that year was um, was actually not necessarily on the track. Uh, it was so I was 16 at the time, and in India at the time we had no go karting, so I'd never done a go kart race in my life. Oh. Uh, my dad was running different race teams, and and actually at the start of that year, I was a chubby little fellow. I, I mean, more than a chubby. I was 96 kilos, so I was a fatty. Um, and I went to my dad and at 16 was the age where you could get a racing license at the time. And I went to him and I said, look, you know, I'm 16 now. Can we talk about doing some racing in the, in the Indian national championship? And he looked at me and went, well, first of all, you can't fit in a single seater. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to start off in a saloon car and then, uh, and go from there. And then, um, but he also set me a target. He said, okay, if you can show your commitment by losing some weight, then we can talk about it and, and go forward. And from that day, I just cracked into it. Um, you know, so I was juggling school, juggling training and exercising for the first time in my life to try and lose weight and racing. Um, so I was doing my A-levels. I did five A-levels that year uh, or the equivalent in India. Um, but yeah, so I did my five A-levels and, and race in the championship and lost 26 kilos in 10 months. So um it, it was yeah it was it was a busy old year that's for sure and uh away we went kind of the reverse to this lockdown i think i'm going to be putting more than that on during this lockdown <laughs> i gotta be honest but <laughs> um okay well that that uh then led you on into 2001 formula 2000 asia champion the youngest ever in that particular championship as well 
Yeah, it was a fun year to, you know, to leave India and race internationally. That, that, that was typically the first step that Indian drivers took to, to race abroad. So, you know, we'd go to uh, Malaysia, China, uh, Thailand, I think we went to Indonesia, I can't remember, uh, the Philippines, actually. So anyway, we went to a whole bunch of countries around Asia, South Korea as well. And um, so, yeah, it was an interesting year. You know, you, you, it was the first time driving a, a Slicks and Wings car. It was, you know, with a, it's kind of similar, I suppose, to what Vauxhall Lotus would have been here or Formula 4 2000 would have been here. Yes. That's that sort of car. Um, very basic Slicks and Wings. Uh, but but certainly a fun, fun year and, and a fun championship to be involved in. But I think it was the following year when I first came to England that I suddenly realized the difference between racing in Asia and, and racing in Europe. Um, you know, although I won the championship and that was great for me at the time. And certainly it gave me a lot of um, credibility with the Indian media and with sponsors in India because, you know, it, it is an expensive sport. And I, I was very fortunate to have commercial sponsors um, who, who helped me along the way. Otherwise, there would have been no chance for me to, to carry on my career. Um, but yeah, Racing in Asia was, was the first step to putting me on that, that map. Just going back then, so you said about wings and slicks. What is, I probably should have had a look, what is a Formula Maruti then? Is that similar to like a Formula Ford or something? Uh, Formula First, even, I'd say. Oh, really? So, okay. Actually, you, you can have a look on my Instagram. I'm doing a, a series through this lockdown of uh, a race car a day and yeah. um, for the last 17 days. And, and the Formula Marutis are, are in there, so you can have a look at it. I will have to. I'm going to have to have a look now. I'm intrigued. It was only when you say it's the first time of the wings and slicks, uh, and as you say, you then actually at the end of 2001, I think you got to test the Carlin Motorsport Formula Three. Yep. But it was actually the following year, as you say, but with T Sport, not with Carling, that you raced, and it was in the the, the national class, so the same race, but it was in the national class. Yep. Uh, to start with, for the first two years, and of course, the most important thing there, Karen, that was your first experience. Of Castle Coombe. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, I was trying to remember, actually, whether I came and did a track day there to learn the circuit before, because we'd often try and do that with the new track just for me to, to get my eye in, just go do a track day in a, uh, I think at the time, this was 2002, so I had an R-Reg Vauxhall Vectra that I bought from a guy in a gas station for £3,000. <laughs> And it was horrendous to see. I remember we bought it at night in the dark on the way back from Pembury. It was at the gas station somewhere off the M4. My dad and I bought this thing, did the insurance on the phone, got in the car, drove home. Um, and the next morning, the sun came up. And my dad said to me, he says, you got to come and see this thing. And basically, every panel was a different color. It had obviously been shunted and it had been resprayed or whatever. It, the whole thing was just a mess. And it, uh, I still remember the registration plate, R363BBH. It's probably in a scrapyard somewhere. Um, anyway, that thing was horrendous. But um, yeah, I, I actually went and ended up doing a few track days in it, just driving around slowly to learn the circuits and hope that I didn't fall apart. Um, but I don't think I did that at Castle Coombe. So I think, I think genuinely the first time was probably um, driving there for the race weekend. And I enjoyed it. I, 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 I thought it was a real challenge. It was much narrower than I um, expected. And I remember the last corner, especially, you know, you'd come in there in the Formula 3 car and it was such a fast corner. And, and you'd often see, you know, if you had a little bit of a moment, you, you could get the, the left side wheels in the grass just on the way out. And the mechanics on the pit wall, you'd see their eyeballs sort of 
you know, on stalks as they wincing away and trying to, to jump out of the way um, for the for the potential accident. But um, yeah, no, a fun circuit, certainly. <laughs> yeah, because back then there wouldn't have even been the uh, the fencing you know, above the pit no. wall. I don't think was there. No, exactly. Um, you know, I think I think that yeah, that must have come later on. Um, but I remember, I, I remember also in I think it was two thousand three. I ended up spinning off at the last corner. Uh, one of the cars in front of me backed off, or something happened, and and, and in avoidance, I, I sort of swerved and ended up spinning into the inside and into the field. And uh, yeah, there, uh, there's a picture. I, I was trying to find it to send it to you actually, but I can't find it now. But there's a picture of me standing in the field with a. I guess was it corn or maize? Yeah, maybe maybe corn, somebody in the yeah. chat would know. But um, anyway, it was the field, but the 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 crop had grown higher <laughs> than the height of the roll hoop of the car, so you couldn't see the car, but you could just see me from sort of chest upwards, standing <laughs> in this field while the race was going on. It was very uh, very funny. Was it funny at the time? But it's funny now. No, ex oh, it is, and there's been a fair few photos of people in that uh, that corn, and it sort of they suddenly pop up and appear from nowhere. It, absolutely. Well, it was um, still it was easier to clean, I think, than when we went off um, into the fields at Croft, because I remember there was a wet test day once, and I spun off into the um, what's the yellow flower the oil seed is it rape, rapeseed oil rapeseed yeah rape seed, so, yeah, yeah the rapeseed fields and i spun off into them and the the car oh the poor mechanics it took them <laughs> forever to clean that out <laughs> you were popular then yeah <laughs> the um uh, so those first two years that uh, that you were in formula three in the national class both times appearing at castle coombe 2002 2003 finishing second and third in class uh, respectively then you jumped up to the main uh, formula three class still with t-sport um, yep. as well and you had to, that was in 2004, which is actually, sadly, the penultimate year that we had Formula 3 at Castle Coombe. And, uh, I mean, an incredible field that we had there as well. I mean, I was looking at the names earlier. Yeah. I mean, you've got Adam Carroll, Danny Watts, Alvaro Parente. Um, PK Jr., Will Carroll. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what an incredible field. Stephen Jelly, who's big in GT racing Yeah, now, Will, Will like, Davison was in that year. Yeah. Um, I wow. think Robert, Robert Dahlgren was in there, was Formula 4 champion before that. Um, you know, Ernesto Viso went on to race IndyCars, I think. Um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was an unbelievably strong season, actually, 2004. Um, there was some... Yeah, real. You know, James Rossiter was in it. Um, some, yeah, really, really high quality drivers. Probably, you know, I think that one of the. If you look at where all of those drivers have gone on to, is is probably one of the, you know, the better years in in recent times. You know, certainly um, yeah. that F three has had. I, I agree. When I was looking at that list, I'm like going, good grief, this is a who's who. <laughs> and I mean, it was, uh, you had a real baptism of fire as well in the, in the top class there, because you had a complete split. It was a dry race one and a wet race two. And it was interesting to see that the, the lap times were, or should I say the top speeds between the two races, um, but between those two cars, I mean, you're talking an average speed of 110 miles an hour was uh, the fastest Danny Watts in the dry race. And then suddenly it was less than 80 miles an hour once the, ra the rain was there, even yeah. with the, 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 you know, the wet tires, presumably you guys would have gone on and, and the slicks, it, it made a big old challenge for you. Yeah, it, it was actually, um, I think I've still got some onboard footage of that wet race somewhere. 
um it, it was it, it was a tricky track certainly in the in 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 those conditions i think because it's so narrow um you know you sometimes have to look for the rubber and the grip offline uh and the chicanes i remember being really low grip um you know i remember the 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 first chicane after you did the first corner and then you go the, the the entry to that chicane was always so so tricky in the wet to try and get the back of the car stable but i'm sure um i'm sure there are lots of specialists on uh, <laughs> around the circuit who who know the wet lines and wet tricks much better than i do but i, I mean this is what a lot of the drivers say though about uh, you know castle coombe obviously because there's a lot of uh, we've got fellow drivers of the seventh the circuit watching we've got the uh, the hardcore spectators watching the marshals the medical crews all sorts of people watching this now and uh you know they, they will uh, love hearing you talking about the, taking on the circuit you know the the, the challenges of heading up avon rise at breakneck speed up into the first real corner because the first one's flat yeah. out off the start finish straight into quarry corner and you must have noticed it it was the busiest spectator bank for a reason <laughs> yeah well i ended up in the wall there because i got one of the um it must have been 2002 i think i had i got one of the cones they had these cones that they put up these sort of bollards at the chicane yeah and it got caught underneath the front wing of of the car i remember i, I can't remember which one. it might be 2002 the first race and um when i got up to the uh, up to quarry it basically was wedged on the front wing so i lost all the front downforce ended up ended up head first into the wall wow. which uh, wasn't a, a pleasant time for me or the, or the mechanics later on but um <laughs> yeah they got a fix but no I, I also seem to remember always having a good crowd there you know i think there was in general actually the event not just at that corner but i think in general for f3 we always had a, a pretty good crowd come down it, it was. I mean, one of the things that we always get uh, told about is that our crowds are always massive there, no matter what's there. Even uh, you know, at, at the you know, a box standard race meet, it's still going to have a bumper crowd there. But also, I think the the schedule was that it was always around July, August. So you know, I think the the weather was always quite good for and British for the, GT there everybody. as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, yeah, it used to be a it used to be a fun fun weekend. Um, I, yes. I remember, and you might know the answer to this. There's um, there's like an old manor house that's been converted into a hotel right, right outside the gate, right next to the circuit. Um, can't remember what it's called, but I remember staying there once when we were filming with Fifth Gear, and it was uh, it was in the summer, and it was so hot. It felt like <laughs> I was being back in India actually, because you know the manor houses aren't aren't built necessarily to. Uh, to cope with a hot summer's day. Um, no, yeah. no air conditioning. No air conditioning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, I'm just uh, double checking. It's it's not quite at the gates, but I'm trying to remember what that's called. It's sort now. of like it's it's just around less the than five minutes away. Yeah. Yeah, um, you can definitely walk it. Tiff, Tiff Nidell and I stayed there, and uh, we were yeah, it was good fun. And that does lead me on, and, and we are going to come back to the rest of your career, but whilst we're on the Castle Coombe subject, you'd mm. I'd be wrong not to hang on it. But you do still uh, have been back there again, doing the fifth gear stuff as well. Yeah, that's right. I've uh, been back a few times with, uh, you know, with fifth gear and filming different bits and pieces uh, around there. I think, one, I think we had one day where Tiff and I went back and we did a whole bunch of stuff in the car park first before going onto the circuit. And... He did so many donuts and burnouts in this car. He blew both of the rear tires, and we had to. We just and we ended up just sitting there for hours, 
before someone came from the dealership in Reading with a fresh set of tyres to, to replace it. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun times. We, um, you know, it's, it's a fun circuit in, in, a, you know, in any car, really. I'm just trying to remind myself as well, because I know you've done some stuff with uh, Guy Martin, yeah. and uh, he's been and done things at our circuit, but that wasn't at Castle Coombe that you were with Guy Martin, was it? No, it was at uh, Pembury, Thruxton, and Silverstone. Right, and I'm going to pick you up on this one because I remember this story from when we were together in November. The story at Pembrey <laughs> was that the one when you suddenly got that he changed his mind and he went. Was Guy well, Martin? Yeah, he. I mean, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary <laughs> man to work with. Um, lovely guy, um, real passion for engines. Actually, uh, you know, he the way he rattles off compression ratios and statistics on on different engines, it's unbelievable. Um, but he, he is, he is just bonkers as well, uh, in a fun way. I think, you know, he, and, and so straight away, you know, we got there and he was driving one of our Williams heritage cars. Um, and we had, but before that we had him in a formula three car and, you know, so we did a day where we had two F3 cars, one for me, one for him. And I drive around, he could follow and stuff like that. And then, you know, he got going and I thought, He's going to be a bit wild and a bit leery, so I'll just take it easy and he can sit behind. Bearing in mind, he races on the Isle of Man, you know. I thought there'd be no problem of fear. But it was strange how as soon as you took him out of his normal environment of racing on bikes and stuck him in a slicks and wings car with, you know, high downforce, you got to lean on the, the aero for it to work. He, he was actually quite in awe of it and quite daunted by it and actually afraid to push um, which blew me away. And, and at one point, he had a spin. And it didn't hit anything. You know, just spun across the grass, came in. The guys cleaned the car off. Uh, you know, he's ready to go. And, and But he just didn't want to, to get back in it. He, he literally was, like, afraid to get back in it because he thought he might have a shunt. I was like, it's like you race on the Isle of Man. What are you <laughs> talking about? But it's funny, isn't it, how different sports people, when you take them out of their, their environment, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can they're going to be as willing to take the risks in, in another type of the sport. No, absolutely. I mean, he, he does, he's a unique character, isn't he? Definitely. I'd love to, uh, to, to meet with him. We were sort of like hoping we could get him uh, onto, onto this show, but I think he's a bit too crazy for that, but he's a good guy, but he's done some stuff at Castle Coombe because they do a lot of filming, as you know, from the fifth gear. So it, it is great in terms of continuing your career then. So we've got the, the British formula three, you uh, at the end of that 2004 year as well. You also had a crack in the uh, the final two rounds of the World Series by Renault. What an awesome series that was! And straight away into the top five. Yeah, it was. Um, I enjoyed that card actually. Um, to be honest, 2004 and F3 was a was not a good year for me. It was a frustrating year. We never had the budget to do it properly. You know, we had about two thirds budget of other people, uh, and you never you know speed costs money in motorsport, unfortunately. So. It wasn't really going anywhere, and my sponsors pulled the plug to a you know half. I think it was about two thirds away through the year, um, but then I managed to get a deal to do the last two races of World Series, uh, which was fun. You know, I, I think I finished fourth in Jerez for the last round on my second weekend there, which was a better result than I had all year in in the F3 season. So um, yeah, on the whole, I enjoyed that, and then carried on into 2005. But again, I didn't have a budget. 
So I had a budget to do the first, I think, two or three rounds, and then completely ran out of money, debt had spiraled out of control. Um, and then, you know, did a deal to do a bit of A1GP, but the whole thing was quite a political mess with a, oh, really? with a team owner at the time and stuff. So I think uh, I only did the first two races at Brands and Lausus Ring and then stopped. So to me, 2004 and five were, were probably my two worst years in terms of a, a racing career. There was a lot of stress, you know, bank managers on the phone all the time and uh, no, no budget to do anything properly. It was a lot of sporadic racing, which you know, it's never good for anyone's career or confidence. And the, the pressure was was massive. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't the fondest of, of times. I feel like I should apologize for bringing it up now. No, no, it's, it's life, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, you learn your lessons. You, I think that the knocks make you stronger and you, you keep going. And didn't it just, I mean, goodness me, you went oh, the first year, by the looks of it, of the Formula Asia um, V6 by Renault. You liked the Renault, Formula Renault V6s, didn't you? Um, and you were the champ of that inaugural year with seven wins and nine poles in all 12 races. That's coming back with a bang then. Yeah, it, it was, you know, I went back to Asia because I had no money to carry on racing anything in Europe. Um, and then Renault launched the series in Asia and, and basically the people at Renault Motorsport got in touch with me and said, look, there's a deal on the table. Uh, we're doing this series. And then the, the promoter of the championship, David Soninsher, um, who was next racing driver himself from the UK, he, he helped me put, the, put a deal together with the team. Um, and, and I raced out there. And to be honest, it was, you know, the level in Asia, as I mentioned before, is, is much lower than it is in Europe. Um, so if I didn't win the championship, then I would have no business coming back to Europe, frankly. So I had to win the championship. It was, a, it was one of those seasons where, you know, second would not have been good enough to, to come back to Europe. But it was um, it was a fun year. It was exactly what I needed as well. You know, it, it took it was a year just to stabilize financially uh, for my family and me, just to to try and just breathe a little bit. Um, you know, I moved back to India, lived at home again for a year. Um, you know, it's daunting as an 18 year old. I came here on the first of February 2002, moved from a city of 11 million people to a town of 11,000. Didn't know anybody else. The only people I knew were at T-Sport. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it was a tough mentally, I think it was a tough four years, 2002, three, four, five, and just going back for a year in 2006. Now, when I look back on it, uh, at the time it was a bit disappointing because you're kind of giving up on this European dream chasing formula one, but actually in hindsight, it was exactly what I needed just a year to get out of the pressure cooker and breathe, mm -hmm. um, recharge the batteries a bit, obviously, you know, still racing, still winning, um, which which brought my confidence back up and, and you know, then be ready to, to come back to Europe. Well, it makes sense. I mean, so often we have to do that sort of like proverbial step back to be able to step forward again, don't you? You've just got to control. It feels like we're all doing it now, isn't it? And well, ironically, I was kind of thinking that in my head as you were saying it. And, and there is a lot of that is that, uh, you know, we're sort of going back to some of our basics now because we have to. And I think that there's some elements that are going to come out relatively beneficial dare i even say from some of this if we grab it with both hands like you did in that 2006 and it then brought the european dream back again because 2007 you joined uh, durango in the in gp2 but the pan european element of it whereas in 2008 you did both the pan europe 
and the Asia GP2, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm slightly conscious of time, so I'm going to sort of fast track uh, the GP2 sure. years. But um, yeah, I mean, I, basically, again, at the end of 06, I had no money and, and I'd actually, you know, basically agreed to, um, to, to be a team manager for Formula 3 team with a friend of mine here in the UK and just carry on working, um, you know, in motorsport, basically. Um, I think that the driving dream looked like it was going to be over because we had no budget. And then towards, um, I think it was late January 07, um, I got a call from Bernie and he, he uh, managed to get a deal done with, um, with Durango. And at the same time, Red Bull, um, I managed to do a deal with Red Bull basically to get on the junior program. So I was the last driver to get signed up, but six days before the first test, first GP2 test at Ricard. And, you know, Durango was the last seat going. They'd finished last in the championship in 2006. They were, you know, not not a competitive team in 06. But in 07, we worked really hard. I had a really good English engineer, um, Nick Vassiliou, and we worked really, really hard. And, uh, you know, first half of the year, I learned and, and built things up. Uh, and then second half of the year, we, you know, we scored points, I think, at every weekend. We won at Spa. We should have won at Turkey. Um, <laughs> and we had, you know, we had some good results. So it, that worked well. And at the end of that year, I tested with iSport, who had won the championship in 07 with Timo Glock. Um, it blew me away, actually, how good that car was. And suddenly, um, you know, straight away at that first test in Jerez, I think I was fourth or fifth in the test. And, um, you know, we managed to get a deal done for 08. And, and I think in terms of driving, and I actually posted this on, on Instagram yesterday, saying in terms of working satisfaction, I think 2008 was probably my best year. Uh, I really enjoyed that season. It was... Um, you know, it was a great season. It was a tough championship. Um, you know, it didn't all go our way. I think the, the first half of the season went well at, um, until Budapest. You know, we were winning, finishing on the, uh, on the podium, won in Germany, had some strong results, generally qualifying and racing, you know, right at the sharp end of the grid. Uh, and it was great people. You know, Bruno Senna was my teammate. We became very good friends. We worked well together. The engineers at Iceboard were brilliant. You know, still, I think, one of the best teams I've ever worked with, really good people. Uh, and it was it was just a great season. Um, tough, lots of young guys on the cusp of F1, motivated, highly driven, um, training hard, working hard, trying to achieve that dream. And uh, it was great. Uh, and then in 2009, I joined a new team, um, Ocean Racing Technology. And because we were a new team, we were really up and down. We were either mega quick or we were absolutely nowhere. Um, <laughs> you know, we finished third at Silverstone, should have won Monaco with a drive shaft. Um, I was leading in Monaco with eight laps to go and the drive shaft broke, which I think on track still remains my most painful day in motor racing. Um, you know, to win to win in Monaco in anything is, um, you know, would be special and to win GP2 would have been. So that, that hurt a lot. I drank a lot of tequila that night to get over it. <laughs> and um, having been with you in November, that's saying something because you, you you don't drink particularly now, do you? No, no. I mean, I have the old glass of red, but nothing else. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it took a lot to, to get over that. And I, I don't, you know, but yeah, uh, so that was the GP2 years um, and away we went. Well, and uh, you, you'd hoped that uh, you were going to join uh, Force India. That didn't happen in Formula One, but you did manage to join uh, HRT or Spania Racing that we remember with your friend Bruno Senna as your teammate as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in obviously in 2010, the, the timing for me was quite lucky because we had four 
well, well, there were meant to be four new teams in F1 and ended up with three. And, and I'd had meetings and conversations with, with all of them. Um, and, you know, they were, they were sort of uh, going back and forth and we were going around and around and around. And eventually it was, I think, late January, maybe early February when um, we managed to get a deal done with Hispania. And, um, you know, obviously it was a new team and there's no budget at all. You know, the, the car... The car that we had should have actually been the one that only went to a hotel lobby in Murcia for the launch. And, um, you know, we were meant to get a full update package for Bahrain, which never came. It was first then, it was then meant to come for Barcelona. And, you know, when I went to do the seat fit at Delara, because the Delara had done the car, um, you know, I had a look, uh, the designer showed me the drawings and CFD and the, their plans that, and that they'd already been been developing the update package which would have had you know i think something like 60 points of downforce which which translates to nearly three seconds of lap time so that would have brought us into sort of toro rosso territory which is if you look at what delara did with Haas, is kind of where they arrived in f1 so um it's a shame really you know that year was a was a case of what could have been we had some decent results but the reality is we we weren't racing you know, we were we were off the back of the three new teams. We were the third. So there was the odd day where, you know, they faltered a bit and we managed to put together a good race and good strategy. Uh, I think Valencia came comes to mind where I finished ahead of Lucas and, and Bruno. Um, I think Canada finished ahead of Timo. Uh, you know, there was, there was the odd occasions where we could, where we could just about get ahead of one of them. Um, but... Yeah, on, on the whole, it was uh, it was a tricky car. But were you still, I mean, at the end of the day, for anybody, they'll know that, you know, to get into Formula One, is it's a big, big deal. It'd been your, your big exactly. dream all along. Were you still able to enjoy it and go, wow, you know, I mean. Yeah, form- I, I think so. I, I think and ultimately, now when I look back, that I'm glad I did enjoy it because it would have been easy to get frustrated and depressed you know, by being at the back of the grid, having raced previously in categories where I was used to being at the front and, and competing for points and podiums and things like that. So it would have been easy to get disheartened and disillusioned, but uh, but I'm, I was fortunate. I went into that year with a mindset that I'm fulfilling, f- fulfilling a life stream of being in Formula One. And I think the, the, the thing that drove it home to me really was in Bahrain on the Thursday, um, I remember I got to the paddock and we, we went to get the official pictures taken and, and I was walking along and um, the first other driver I met that day was Michael Schumacher and he came and shook my hand in and, you know, said, welcome to F1. And, he, you know, he spent a few minutes wow. just talking to me, asking, asking me questions and wanting to get to know me a little bit and where I was from and just, you know, polite conversation a little bit and, and wish me well for the year. And, you know, this was a seven-time world champion making his return to F1 with Mercedes that that weekend. Um, you know, he was the star. He, he was the one that all the cameras and all the people wanted to see and speak to. Um, and, and, you know, listen, I had his poster on my bedroom wall. He was Michael Schumacher. And yeah. um, for him to take five minutes out of his time to to just be, be nice and be polite and wish me well for the season meant a lot. And it's something I... I still remember and really appreciate even even today, to be honest. Um, and I think that moment, and and I think uh, you know, in Bahrain it was messy. It was a messy weekend. I didn't get to drive the car before qualifying, which is 
bonkers, really. Um, so, you know, we started in the pit lane. But, but in Melbourne, I still remember in Melbourne, we were on the grid and everybody cleared away, you know, and the, and the green flag lap started. At that point, I sat there thinking, I'm a Formula One driver. I, I allowed myself to think that for that for about three seconds. Just, you know, when the lights, when, when we pulled away for the formation lap, and you think there's only 20, at the time, there were 26 of us in the world who who could be there, or 24 of us in the world who could be there. And I was one of them. And and that was cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I did allow myself to enjoy it, definitely. I mean, I've always made a point, and I can almost hear it in your voices, that it's almost one of those pieces of advice you'd give anybody of anything in life, really, not just this that we're talking about now, is that you've got to enjoy what you're doing at that moment. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I manage some young drivers now and they, they, they get frustrated and, you know, of course you have to feel the pain of a bad race weekend. You have to feel, um, it, it has to hurt. If it doesn't hurt, it, it means you don't care enough. Yeah. So, but at the same time, when they're sitting there whinging away and complaining about, oh, the, you know, the hotel room is so far away, or, oh, my hire car's not good enough, or this and the other, I, I you know, I have no patience for that sort of nonsense. I literally say to them, you know what? Tell you what, I'll call your dad. You can stop paying for your racing. You can go and get a normal job and go sit behind a desk because that's what most of the world are doing. So um, I think I think there's you know there's big lessons in in appreciating what we got really, and we're, we're very lucky to work in motorsport, frankly. Uh, and and I want and we are going to carry on with with this very quickly. You're right, say time wise, but I want to say, do you still get? the buzz that you get to um, work in F1 behind the microphone now. You're part of, you were Channel 4, you're Sky Sports uh, F1 now. I'm speaking for myself with jealousy, frankly, because you know I'm on the media side and, and that you get to do that. Please tell me you still feel the buzz that you're doing all of that as well. You do. Um, I mean, you know, I've now worked with five different broadcasters in F1 yeah. um, and you do definitely feel a buzz and, you you know, live television is, is great, um, but nothing can replace driving. Uh, nothing can replace the, 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 you know, when you're racing at Le Mans in the middle of the night and it's starting to drizzle and you've got a choice of intermediates or wets or slicks and, you you know, you're doing 200 mile an hour on the black, <laughs> you know, and just the black forest there with the headlights in front of you. It's incredible. Um, so I think, you know, everything in life gives you a buzz in different ways. Um, but I think that, you know, ultimately being behind the wheel is is something that's very, very special. Well, certainly the thing that I, I appreciated when I met you in, in November was that you actually appreciate everything you get to do. You enjoy everything you get to do. Um, and, and I really like that. And you touched on uh, Le, Le Mans 24 hour. Three times you finished sixth out of like, what, 50 odd starters or whatever it might be. Three times sixth. I mean, that's a fabulous achievement, isn't it? Considering everything else had been single seaters, this was a big, big change. It was, um, you know, I, I, Le Mans really wasn't on my radar until 2012. And then, um, so I went there for the first time. And I, to be honest, I didn't really appreciate how big the event was until the week of the race. And, and you know, there's a lot of hanging around and there's a lot of faffing around in the week build up to the race. But the actual... 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon to 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon is mega. It is just fantastic. It's, a, it's an amazing circuit. It's an amazing race. Um, as you said, I've been, you know, I've been lucky to do it now five times um, and finish, finish 
you know, I think uh, in, I think we finished fifth once in class, sixth once in class, and sixth sixth overall in um, in twenty twelve. So yeah, no, it it is just an incredible race, uh, amazing challenge, and to be the first Indian to do it as well has been very special. You know, to yeah. be the first person from your country to do that um, is pretty unique, really. Are we going to see you back there by any chance? I'd love to. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, and now we have some very good young Indian drivers. I'd love to go back there with an Indian team. You know, it'd be Ooh, nice to yeah. go there with with three Indian drivers for the first time. Because you've been heavily involved in that sort of promoting the Indian motorsport with, uh, obviously, sadly, uh, we don't have it now, but the Indian Grand Prix. And I know you worked with Bernie Eccleston, the, very, the much misunderstood Bernie Eccleston, because I know that you're a big advocate of him as a person and what he does as business. Yeah, I mean, look, nobody can deny what Bernie did for F1. He put it on the map. He, he built it up massively. Um, you know, did he do everything right? No, but nobody did <laughs> or nobody does. So no. he, um, yeah, it was a fascinating time working working alongside Bernie and, you know, spending spending time with him just in the evenings having dinners and, and you know, just or just spending time in his office chatting away and, it's just an, you learn so much um, on on how to operate, and he, he's an amazing man. And you know, I feel I feel very lucky um, that my dad and I spent spent many years working with him, and we still have a very good relationship with him. You know, I think uh, um, yeah, he's he's an amazing character. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a whole area. I know from November we could go on speaking about that for a long time as well. But I'm going to jump now because I'm conscious of time to questions from people. Thank you for everybody who's been uh, having them in. Uh, let's let's go through these. Some of them will be longer than you can see on the screen. So Alfie uh, Gendel Racing, a youngster that's into racing. Hi, Curran. If you could drive any race car around Castle Coombe, what would it be? And the second question was, and who has been your favourite and toughest teammate or rival? Um, I think the 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 answer to the first part would be the Formula Three car. I think anything quicker than that, it starts to just be a little bit too dangerous. Uh, I think the F three car is probably the upper limit of of something that's going to be give you pleasure and, and also a challenge to drive around there. So that'd be my choice. Um, who's my toughest teammate? Um, I would say actually um, Alvaro Parente was my teammate in two thousand nine. And he had this, you know, real sort of lazy, relaxed Portuguese swagger about him. Um, and then he'd get in the car and he'd do this lap time and he'd just go, it, it blew you away. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he was never the fittest or most hardworking driver at the time. I don't know if, he is, if he's changed now, but he was very, very quick. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm just going to put this up as a comment because I back it up and then thanking you again uh, is Chris Marlowe saying, good to see you helping the local club. So thank you again from Happy everyone at Castle Coombe uh, because you can imagine it's a real struggle for the circuit at the minute with everything. Um, Martin Mee says, do you have a favourite corner or section of the circuit at Castle Coombe? Uh, I think the last corner was um, was all my favourite. Is is um, yeah, real challenge in the F3 car for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Camp Corner, very, very quick indeed, isn't it? Uh, is our mutual friend, Peter Maybon. I just heard my name. Good evening to you both. <laughs> evening. How are you doing? <laughs> I like I like this idea, but you're probably too busy. Nick Pontin, another racing driver. Get Karen in the comms bot with me uh, for a round at Castle Coombe. What a team. Now, that would be ideal. If you're ever available, Karen, come and join me in the commentary box. <laughs> I think if I'm going back to Castle Coombe, I'll be driving something. <laughs> true. Yeah, true. We can still pop up at some point. Yeah, yeah. Happy to do um, 
Do you still race or test uh, for anyone? Um, I do bits and pieces right now with Williams Heritage. Um, that's one of my most fun jobs, really. Uh, yeah. We get to do, you know, get the opportunity to drive some amazing cars from F1 history. Um, but as I said, you know, I'd love to go back and do Le Mans and a bit more sports, sports car racing. I'm still only 36, so, um, you know, young enough to, to have a few more cracks at it, I think. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, 36, that's, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of years left there. Uh, I'm going to put this up because uh, the Masons doing great job on the medical. Good evening all and happy anniversary to you both for yesterday. Um, apart from the FW14B, what has been your favourite car you've driven as the Williams Heritage driver? Good question, Carl. Uh, I think the Montoya um, FW26 from 2004 that that was an amazing car it was an it was an awe-inspiring experience really so yeah i i i think that's the that's the car i choose last year though i saw the footage of you in lewis hamilton's mercedes formula one car and yep. your eyes basically on stalks when you had the camera back here and you i think you said that that was an incredible car to drive as well yeah of course it was i mean it's a car that dominated the world championship last year they won both the drivers and constructors championship it, it was amazing but it was so good and so confidence inspiring you didn't feel in awe of it you didn't feel uh, okay. you didn't feel afraid of it you didn't feel like it was going to bite you you didn't feel like you had to you were sort of hanging on to it and it was on edge it was just so perfect uh, it, it's got to be the most perfect race car driven but also it was much heavier than cars were in 2004 you know, the, the 2019 cars was 743 kilos. Um, in contrast, the 2004 car was 138 kilos lighter. You know, 138 kilos in an F1 terms, it's probably seven seconds of lap time, uh, just in the weight. But they've recovered that lap time by putting bigger tires and more downforce on it. So they've made the cars effectively easier to drive by giving the drivers more grip um, to compensate for the you know, the lap time loss and weight. So in terms of power, they're, they're not that different, to be honest. There's maybe 50 horsepower in it, which if you consider it's now been 16 years, that's, a, you know, it's not so bad. No, true, very true. And of course, with the, the Williams thing there is that everybody thinks that, you know, there's so much money in F1, everything's fine. Even they're suffering through all of this and you've got the teams that are doing amazing jobs with the uh, the experts for the uh, the medical side of things. But, you know, you've got Williams who being living in Swindon, it's only down the road from uh, from Williams, is that they've sold off the engineering side at the minute, haven't they? And it's it's all a big struggle for them all. Yeah, I mean, we've seen McLaren, Haas, um, Racing Point and Williams follow their staff, or some of their staff, in fact, um, during this time. It, it is tricky because at the end of the day, if you're, you know, there's no racing, there's no income. So, um, you know, as as all of UK motorsport, I think, you know, much like the circuit of Castle Coombe knows, I think the bottom line for everybody is going to be hit quite badly in 2020, um, you know, for, for anyone and everyone involved in motorsport, really. It is, and we wish them the best, definitely. Uh, I quite like this comment. Jed Coyle says, uh, we don't see you enough at Coombe. We need to see you back here. How about appearing at the first event back after COVID-19? Or another one that you might like, actually, Karen, is, um, uh, when is it? I think it's October. We've got the Autumn Classic. Get out there in, in because uh, you race a lot of historics now, don't you? Yeah, I go out to Goodwood. and, and I mean, actually, to be honest, Goodwood is the only historic event I've done so far. Uh, I've done it every year for the, for the last six or seven years now. So I do enjoy it. I've driven some weird and wonderful cars over the years. 
Um, yeah, maybe. I think I think the problem will be what as soon as COVID nineteen is lifted, we're all going to go mad, isn't it? You know, F one's going to dump as many races as possible onto the calendar, uh, and then all the other bits and pieces of work that we that I that I'm involved in it all. You know, I can see it all ramping up quite quickly. Um, it's going to be tricky, isn't it? Which actually, Ollie Barton's raised that point, saying, "What do you think will happen with the postponed races? Um, will we have a compressed season with all or most of the races, or will we have a short season?" Well, I think the biggest question is when can we start, yeah. um, and that will really define how many races we can have. To, to make up a world championship, you need eight rounds, um, as per the FIA statutes. So that's the minimum we need for it to be a counted as a world championship yeah i think if you're optimistic you'd like to hope by august we can start racing um and if you start in august you can get probably 12 races in you know you could do you could do all the europeans you could maybe do mexico and austin if they've gotten over the hump there um and then you could do the middle eastern races into december because the weather will still be yeah. okay to race there in december so um but I think, to be honest, you know, I'm not a medical professional or a scientist, and and the answer to when we can get back to having public events with mass gatherings is is the real um, defining factor of when F1 can start. Yeah, it's all the unknown, isn't it, for for absolutely everything. Hence, just uh, Joanne, uh, Joanna Louise Hull asked the same about the season. They've got tickets for Singapore. I'm jealous about that. And uh, how likely me and my daughter will be going to that? We just don't know yet. I, 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 if I'm honest, I think Singapore is looking like one of the races to be unlikely. Um, I'm sorry oh, really? to disappoint you, but because of the, um, you know, because it's a street circuit like Montreal, like Baku, you know, they need more time in advance to plan and prepare for the circuit. They can't just, you know, be like Barcelona or Silverstone where, in short notice, they can get the circuit ready to go racing. Um, street circuits take months of, of building. Uh, I think the Singapore one, in fact, takes four or five months to build. So even if, I suppose if they were to race in December, you they could get a, technically a green light to go racing in August, September, and get the track built up in time. Um, but yeah, I can't, I, I, can't see it happening in september if i'm perfectly honest watch this space but yeah the inside track uh nigel forrest uh, from alton park so we get i told you our stretch is more than just castle coom karen but uh, nigel frost one of the nickerbrook hardcore um he said is alton park still your favorite track i don't know how he knows that 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 you've ever have you ever said that uh it was one of my favorites i wouldn't <laughs> say it was my favorite i think when i was racing in the uk i say brands grand prix was my was my favorite circuit at the time. Um, and now I'd probably say uh, I picked three in three different um, cars, really. There's there's Monaco, Le Mans, and Suzuka, are my, my, probably my three favorites now. Okay, that's interesting to know. But his main Alton question... Park is, a, is an amazing circuit. It is a fantastic circuit. I mean, uh, I did have probably the biggest shunt in Formula 3, uh, in my Formula 3 time at Alton Park when I crashed in Druids. Uh, and, and split the car in half. So that was pretty spectacular. Wowzers, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't polish out. Do you think, but his main question was, do you think that, uh, I nearly didn't ask this, but I read it to the end and realised it was actually quite a good question. Do you think that F1 is being diminished by the FIA banning every innovative leap forward that can be copied by every team eventually? 
So they're, they're limiting what they can do. Is it a shame? No. I think ultimately we have to make racing interesting. You know, as much as for the engineers and for a small portion of the audience, the technical innovation and, you know, seeing the small flick up on the floor might be interesting. Frankly, for 95% of the audience, they couldn't care less. You know, they want to see good wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. They want to see cars that can follow each other closely and overtake and, and have good battles on track. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. So to me, frankly, the, the rule changes we've had in 2017, which made the cars bigger and faster and more aero-dependent, were the wrong way to go. I think we... You know, the, the most simplistic aero rules that we're bringing in for 2021, well, it's now pushed to 22, yeah. um, you know, has upset people like Adrian Newey and the great designers and innovators of our sport. But unfortunately, I understand why we have to do it because the cars have become so aero dependent. I mean, I, I, what I'd say to people is just look at the um, 97 uh, European Grand Prix that's on uh, Formula One have put out this week. I watched the whole race the other day when I was on the rowing machine and it's just fantastic. The racing is fantastic. They're so close together. They, you know, they, they don't need silly A's like DRS to get past. It's pure racing and nobody will sit there today and say the cars look ugly. You know, the, the cars that Damon or Jacques won their championships in, they're great looking cars. Or Mika 98, frankly. So I think, you know, just because they're simpler than what we have today, it doesn't mean they're ugly cars. And and the racing will be better. And I think that's the most important thing. I 100% agree. Uh, totally. Uh, just going to bring this up. Johnny Rowe's been coming here for years. Love it. Best ever. Thank you for that. Emma Strawford, of course, the Strawford family that uh, that own uh, Castle Coombe. She's reminded us, Manor House Hotel. So we basically, you basically I, said that. I basically said that. <laughs> I just didn't get, I just didn't put the name together. <laughs> we, we should have got it, really, shouldn't we? Um, uh, someone, uh, Christopher Carroll said, uh, what are you going to be racing this year? Are you going to Le Mans or Goodwood Revival? Well, I don't know if we're going anywhere really at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will definitely be at Goodwood Revival as long as it doesn't clash with an F1 weekend. Um, at the moment, there isn't a deal in place to go to Le Mans, but um, you know, who knows what's happening in the world of racing. No, absolutely. Of course, different date for Le Mans this year. Um, we did a very uh, emotional um, opening monologue to the late, great Sir Sterling Moss on uh, Sunday's show. A real sad loss, an incredible gentleman. And uh, Barney Gale's asking, did you meet Sterling Moss and what's your favourite memory of him? I did. Um, I, I, had, I was very lucky to meet um, Sir Sterling on, on quite a few occasions. Um, and both him and his wife Susie you know, were lovely and um, you know, great people to chat to. And, uh, you know, I sat, I sat at their table at dinner uh, once at the Autosport Awards as well, which is great fun. Um, and, and, yeah, great, you know, huge loss of the sport. Um, huge, huge character. I think, um, you know, certainly one of the, the all-time greats and probably the greatest driver never to win a world championship. Um, to answer your question, my favorite memory, there was one occasion where, I actually went to his house um, with a common friend of ours and you know, rang the doorbell and, and to my total surprise, Sterling came to the door himself. <laughs> and uh, so we, we, you know, my, my friend and I, we, we popped in and he had just got back all of his old scrapbooks. I think he, uh, he'd done, 
I'm trying to remember the story, but I think he'd gotten all of his old newspaper articles and had basically said to the RAC or some university students who were working at RAC or some work experience kids or something, that if they could make all of these, you know, haphazard newspaper articles that he just had in folders and envelopes into scrapbooks, they could then have it in their library for a certain period of time. And I happened to show up on the day where he got all the scrapbooks back to him at home. And it was brilliant. We just, you know, we just sat around um, and he just told stories and we looked, you know, we looked through some of these books and he was just telling stories and um, just, you know, I, I didn't say very much, just sitting there listening to, to him recant his old days. And, and then uh, actually, I now remember this, this was 2012 because he, we were talking about Jensen and Lewis together at McLaren, um, taking on Vettel, and he was he was trying he was asking questions about what a blown diffuser was and why Red Bull were good, and uh, you know he was trying to understand a little bit more about modern F1 and how how data works. And I remember also now as I'm telling the story, pulling up um, some uh, some data traces on my iPad, which I happen to have with me, uh, to show if this is what the drivers can look at these days. This is what you know, a speed graph looks like, and this is what all these things look like. And uh, he was really interested to know what, you know, the tools that the drivers have to compare with each other now. Amazing. I mean, that's not something many people get the privilege to get to do that, is it? Wow. Um, I'm going to whip through these because I'm conscious of your time, Karen. Uh, John Creech has said, uh, ever been tempted to have a crack at, at British touring cars or a different type of endurance racing, such as British GT or Blancpain GT? Uh, I did some Blancpain GT. Actually, I did a season in 2013 uh, in the Sprint Championship, or, or I think most of the season anyway, till the team went pop. Um, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think you know, there's um, yeah, certainly British GT looks looks like quite good fun. I have quite a few friends who race in it, um, like Darren Turner and Johnny Adam and stuff, and uh, they really enjoy it. So yeah, maybe you know that's something to to look at in the future. Uh, I've never honestly looked at the BDCC and. Um, and, and actually, it's strange, but I, I, I've been, you know, I'm friends with Alan Gao. You know, I had dinner with him even a few weeks ago. And obviously, I'm friends with people like Jason Plato, who, who, who've raced in it for years. But it's never, for whatever reason, been on my radar. And um, maybe that is something to think about for, for the future, of, uh, you know, to, to just try a, a different form of racing. Well, certainly uh, a pseudonym of someone that we both know, uh, uh, Jack Derrick. Um, yes, would love to see Karen in uh, in BTCC. So uh, Jack would uh, love to see you in that, that's for sure. Um, just double check quickly. Uh, again, lots of thanks for this, uh, doing this. Um, to, to hear about your, you coming in. So again, so many people thanking you for taking the time, Karen, and, and I no, appreciate pleasure. Oh, that's a good quick question. Chris Savage from the uh, Caterham Graduates Racing Club. Would it work behind closed doors, Formula One races? Uh, it could because arguably, you know, only probably less than 1%, I'd probably say less than half a percent of the audience are actually at the track. Um, and in some cases, it's even maybe 0.1%. But I think the problem would be the promoters, you know, most of their income comes from ticket sales. So a race like Silverstone, for example, you know, the BRDC and, and Silverstone couldn't run the Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix, unless they had the spectators bringing in the income. Mm. On the flip side, they, they, they could run it if they don't have to pay a rights fees. You know, if it doesn't cost them anything, 
then they don't need the income from the spectators to to you know make it um, financially balance the books. So that's the only way you can make it happen is if Form uh, Formula One decide we're going to not charge the circuits the rights fees, but it means we can at least have a world championship. Yeah, it's such a tricky one, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It really is. I said that so many people are thanking you, thanking you for the answers to their question. Chris Hignall, one of our saloon car drivers, saying, as, also, as someone who watched you at Coombe back in the F3 days and as a current racer here, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here this evening. And thank you so much for your time and very interesting thank you. history. And I think that's the best way to to wrap this one up, really, uh, Karen, is that thank you very much. I apologise. I've gone slightly over the hour. and I, it, Blame me if you're in trouble. Um, but thank you so much. I said that it was all about we're trying to pull together in these difficult times uh, for us all. Uh, the circuit is suffering with it all. The, all of us that want to be involved, yourself included, Karen, is that we just want to get it all back underway again, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, at the moment, this is this is a big unknown, and we've all got to be smart about it. There's no point, you know, trying to tr trying to second guess um, what what we're being told because it's a it's clearly a very complex and complicated problem the world has found itself in. I mean, listen, since since uh, World War Two, I don't think we've ever had anything that's caught the entire planet like this um you know you think of things like 9-11 or the tsunami or SARS or Ebola you know we never had every country so affected um and and you know we've we've just got to keep our heads down and uh and be smart yeah absolutely wonderful words Karen thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure again and hopefully we'll uh, catch up again at some point but Thank you. Please, you and your family stay very safe. And we hope to see you at Castle Coombe at some point. Yeah, I look forward to it. Have a good evening. Fantastic. Thanks, Karen. All the best. So we'll uh, remove Karen from this because I now know that I'm being joined by uh, the bearded monster. Wow, Tom, that was uh, that was thoroughly enjoyable, that, wasn't it? I love that. He's such Ooh. a guy. Can you hear yeah, me? Sorry, yeah, sorry. I've got, uh, I've still got it going in the background. So apologies. I'm still, I was, yeah, sorry. I was in, entrenched then. Uh, <laughs> you in really? Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Chris. Sorry. What, what I told you, didn't I? What an incredible guy he really Lovely is. Job. One of the nicest guys yeah. I've ever really, met. Really, really. So and unassuming. To, you know, and to come on as a favour to you and the circuit, someone of that stature, and I'm not, you know, and all our guests are welcomed and fantastic, but. For him to give up an hour of his time, you know, and he, and you know, he must be so busy, Chris, at the moment. I, was, I saw earlier, I think you were saying he was doing some stuff for Autocar in India, and, you know, that's just brilliant. It, uh, he is. He's flat out doing all sorts of things for Sky because they're having to try and keep themselves going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it is. And, and, I, I didn't know when I when I approached him whether it was going to be an option. It was. I, I mean, I've got to tell you is that there's so much more we could have talked about. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. There's so many things we couldn't talk about as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different when we're in a closed room for an of award. Course, they get yeah. to share a lot more details. But when yeah. it's something recorded and, uh, and going out on on well, the tin, we're just we're just used to hearing your life story and and all your and your. Everyone knows everything about you, Chris. So we just assume we just assume <laughs> yeah. that that's going to be that's going to be for. Everybody, I, I don't keep anything secret, <laughs> me, mate. Pfft. Warts and all, mate. Warts oh, and all. But we're, we're going very different, aren't we, on Sunday? 
We're going two yes, wheel. Yes, we're going to go two wheel. So yeah, mixing it up and um, yeah, a lot, go- lot going on at the moment and um, lots of interest, lots of people want to be involved. And uh, yes, on um, Sunday, we are going to be talking to Rob Jones, um, who is our chief motorcycle instructor. And um, also he's raced at Castleford for many years. Um, we'll find out a lot more about him and he's um, a mechanic and everything else. But he's he was very much involved in the bike track days, very much involved in the engine road racing. Virtually, you know, he has raced all around. Really lovely guy, local chap from Rad, Radstock. Um, so a little bit different, really, um, about because I think you know the, the bikes. We we have touched on a couple of times, but you know they are they are a huge part of what we do. But we only have the one bike race meeting um, and the track days, and I think so. It'd be really good to see um, to see what he has to say uh, and hear about. Like I say, the bike track days are fascinating. I'm not a biker myself, Chris. Uh, like you are, but to, to those guys are just, I mean, every single bike track that we do is sold out um, and they're so well supported. Such a great tight-knit group of people as well. And the new on track is just, well, anyway, uh, Rob will tell us all about that, but it's actually really fascinating. So, And I'm looking like, forward to it. I've, I've, um, I've commentated on bike racing a couple of times around the country yeah. and it really is uh, special to do. It's such a, it is such a different skill to commentate on the bikes because it's not yeah. quite as easy to see who's who. It's so quick. It's backwards and forwards. It's just incredible racing to watch. But the skills of those guys, like, for example, I always love that whole element that I've always gone, you know, jeepers, those guys are going down on their knee through the corners, but they're going, yeah, but those nutters in the cars, when they turn the corner, it leans the opposite way. How's that normal? And you suddenly go, oh, yeah, it is that different. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting the insight there. Interesting, uh, I've got to put this one up because it's funny. Uh, Nathan Nichols, as soon as you came on, said, and the show just took a major change in class, eh? Here's Nathan, you know that, yeah. And someone else, I just saw someone else put, who, who can you get to beat that? Well, you know, you've you've had me and Chris, so what? You know, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, someone put Jason Plato. Jason Plato, I, I bumped into him at Autosport and um, got him to sign an autograph, a little Castle Coon uh, sticker, and we, we we try and collect them as we go. And um, I have to say, I'll be careful just in case he's listening. He might come around. Bloody miserable, really miserable. <laughs> <laughs> just to try, just tried to flog me his book. So I don't know how interesting it'd be. Um, to be honest, it's not as interesting as some people. I think, you know, and, and the thing is, Chris, as well, it, it, you know, Karen, he has got a link to Coombe and he is well known. And I think that's great. But we do, you know, the links to Coombe are really important to this, isn't it? That's that's what it's about for us. It's, it's hearing about people who are interested in Castle Coombe uh, and have something to say about it as well. I think that, that, that that's a bit for me from the heart, really. Yeah, and that was the thing. I knew it was, and I knew he was, uh, you know, he genuinely is a nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. not, even nicer than I was expecting when I worked with him uh, in November at Chateau yeah. Indy. And, and I knew that everybody would would warm to him. And I'd imagine he's managed to get himself even more fans after people seeing that there's more to him than meets the eye. Yeah, no, 100%. No, 100%. We, we don't know who's next. We've got um, plenty of people that, that we'd love to get. We're trying to put the word out. Right, and also don't forget, I think that's a big, you know, to be honest, that's, you know, the, the Prebles went down amazingly well on, on Sunday. Uh, huge, huge amount of people. And I think they were just great. They were absolutely fantastic. You did, you did a sterling job then. And the guys are just commenting. I think, yeah, they were in fairness to Gary and Adam, they were brilliant. And that to me summed up racing the spirit and the castle team and during this difficult time. Um, and, but like I said, you've got two other huge, huge people coming up next Wednesday, um, you know, in Brian and Elsa. I mean, 
what can I say about them? Again, legends of the circuit, aren't they? Both of them mm. uh, in their own right. And, you know, I I remember, I always upset it also when I say it, but, you know, it was when I was a youngster up there with my dad, as I remember the two of them racing and, and mm. still going, still winning. You know, she won back-to-back -back, uh, uh, Castle Coombe GT champions yeah. um, in, what would that be, 2017, 2018. Anne was up there trying to get it, get the hat trick last year. She sadly has sold uh, Henry Cooper, the car that we know her in, um, but she's hoping to still do some bits and pieces with her son in law, not necessarily at Coombe unless it's a championship that visits, yeah. but who knows? And of course, all that's been put on the back burner somewhat at the minute. So it'd be lovely to catch of up course. with both of those yeah. together. Um, I, just, I just see some of the comments coming in, Chris. Making me, I, I like the way people think that me and you have obviously got a mad. Now you've done like a magic book of contacts. I say, Chris Harris, he'd be a good one. Yeah, I just, I just hang on, just yeah, we'll just we'll jump online. <laughs> Jason might be a possibility. That one's a bit more reasonable. Get Richard Beard. Yeah, on. I, Dave, you know, Dave. Hello, Dave. Get get get. I mean, he's had he's had really embarrassing though, but he had really um, bad teeth. Um, some teeth. I don't know who's. Uh, oh, we lost you then, to, uh, Tom. Oh, so we, <laughs> we didn't hear any. <laughs> didn't hear any of you then. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, the um, No, I just said you know we need to get Richard. We do need to get Richard on, but he, you know he has had. Um, we appear to have uh, largely lost Tom there. Sadly, it's gone. Although mine went down a little bit there. What we'll do there is that we'll we'll, we'll wrap it all up. It's no problem. What we uh, Tom was saying is that we tried to get Richard. He's got a dental issue with dentists being shut, so it's all a challenge at the minute. We'll try to do that at some point. Uh, Barney Gale uh, raising the question: When is the next one? This Saturday? No, Sunday. It's every Wednesday and Sunday, seven p.m. Wednesdays and Sunday uh, evenings, always the same time to make it as easy as possible, Wednesdays and Sundays. Um, so join in, and it is Rob uh, Jones on the of Two Wheel Variety this Sunday, Brian and Ilsa next Wednesday at 7pm, uh, and we'll let you know about next Sunday. It's still going, still getting more and more people, and uh, we'll, we'll feed it through to you um, as and when we get those guests. But that's it from, from us for episode seven of Coombe TV. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm so glad that you all enjoyed it. Thank you for your lovely comments as well. Uh, not just about Karen, but uh, thank you for myself as well. It has been... Uh, yeah, thank you, Chris. No, thank you. Uh, everybody, stay safe. Tom, we'll catch up with you on yep. uh, Sunday evening. Sunday. I keep... Yep. And uh, all the best till then. Take care. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, all.